Fantastic. Well, uh, thanks to everybody who came out. I know it's uh, 5.30 at reInvent, and uh, it's a Thursday, too. So uh, thank you. Uh, I'm Brad Beebe. I'm a product manager with AWS. And today, we're going to talk about graph approaches uh, for cyber investigative analytics. Uh, before we get too far along, how many people are um, already doing or interested in cyber uh, investigative analytics? Show of hands. Cool. Uh, how many people are uh, using graphs in some way? Okay. How many people are using graphs for cyber investigative analytics? Okay. Cool. So um, we have a nice agenda today. So we're going to talk a little bit. Um, first, we're going to talk about how you can do visualizations uh, to for interactive uh, investigations. In particular, we're going to do some demos with the GPU. We're going to talk about Amazon Neptune, which is uh, a, the newest fully managed database service designed for graphs that was announced yesterday, and this is a service that I worked on. We're going to talk about how you can put it all together, uh, and we're going to show a demo. So um, with that, I would like to very much like to introduce Leo from Graphistry. Uh, Graphistry is a small company. Uh, it's just news today. Uh, they were announced as one of the NVIDIA portfolio companies for the GPU Open AI initiative. So um, with that, Leo's going to take it away. Right. Thank you, Brad. Yeah, hi, everybody. So I'm Leo, the CEO over at Graphistry. So we're a um, Bay Area startup that's been doing some interesting things with uh, GPUs for investigative uh, technology. Um, so I'll, I'll be going over a few things on the Graphistry stack today. Um, and the first of all I, I thought would be interesting is, and I think it was highlighted by Brad's earlier question of what's going on with investigation at a high level and, and how we think about it as a kind of a cross-cutting concern across multiple types of teams. Um, and whether you're within security and you have multiple teams or in your uh, an anti-fraud or something like that and you have multiple teams, what we really mean by investigation, investigative analytics, and then starting to see, even if you're not thinking in graphs today, why that actually starts to get pretty interesting and while maybe you're actually not even realizing it, but actually already doing some of that stuff and kind of how uh, the Graphistry team over the years working with uh, you know, Fortune 500 and deep intelligence agencies and things uh, has been... Uh, establishing techniques for doing that. And, that. and that kind of gets into the heart of the talk, which is once you kind of are conceptually there, there's actually a lot of interesting things happening. Um, I'm going to be focusing on two particular things. Um, the first is how Graphistry has been pioneering a lot of GPU technology on the client and the cloud to kind of scale up what's possible. And second of all, once you have these power tools, how do you actually put it in the hands of everybody across the enterprise, like as, as, across these investigative teams? And then finally, um, throughout this, I'm gonna, we're going to circle back to the Neptune team and see how this starts playing together and how do you actually bring it to enterprise scale. So I thought it would be interesting to start with a simple example. I'm, gonna, I'm just picking this out of the security space. Uh, I'll, I'll tie it back into other types of investigations. And this is, I think it's interesting to just kind of step back and say, what, it, what is an investigation? Kind of what are the problems? What are we actually trying to do here? So this is a simple, uh, this is, uh, example here is representative of something that may be a tier two analyst, that maybe there's a bit of escalation already on an incident that happened. I'm doing it from security, so maybe it's an incident responder. And looks here, the, they might be responding to a log line that says IP 10.16.08. There's something involving a spear phishing um, uh, email getting clicked. The time was maybe sometime last evening, and the vendor who caught that was our blue coat proxy, proxy logs. 
And so this is kind of a very normal thing for an investigation team to at some point somebody has to, you know, something happens, somebody has to deal with it. And if you kind of turn on your TV and try to think about like how maybe Hollywood might think about what that means for somebody to go figure out what's going on with 10.16.08, you might see something like this. You, you know, you're just like, oh, it's 10.16.08. I'm going to go to the back room. I know that guy. Let's you know, get the pin board out. I, it's, it's the Russians and, you know, it's something like that. Now, for, even if already it's escalated to a tier two team, which is already starting to get pretty fancy, the reality looks a bit more like this. And so I'm, I'm going to deconstruct that a little bit. So the first thing on the top is uh, they've probably got a few browser tabs open. And so if you're maybe a, a smaller shop, you might have maybe five security vendors. You've got your AV and your firewall. And, and they're, they're already actually kind of, um, that's actually just at a small shop. And that's already kind of a lot of overlapping data, which is a little interesting. Now, if you go to a bigger shop, they might have 100 security vendors all feeding different types of data around that incident. And you're, you're the poor IT person trying to figure out what's going on, and you have this 100 things. And that, that was kind of true 10 years ago. Now, it's next level is like, oh, by the way, um, we just a bunch, um, some of these aren't even logs, they're APIs. There's all these cloud, maybe reputation scores and things like that. And by the way, we're actually a bigger shop, so not only do you have one database collecting these logs, we actually have both Splunk and Elasticsearch, and we're actually spinning up maybe a Neptune server. And so you have all these tables and indices, and it's just it's kind of a mess. And if you start adding it up, maybe at a smaller shop, maybe you have 10 million events, of security-relevant events a day. If you're a bigger shop, maybe you know a billion, something like that. And, that, and when you're looking at that IP address and trying to thread that needle, that, that's what we're looking at. And, and, and they might have individual vendor tools for looking at these things, but ultimately, once it starts escalating, you're going to go look at that central data store. You're going to do searches. You're going to get maybe some histograms and a bunch of you know, next buttons on those search pages. And what will happen from there is probably you're going to open up Notepad. And it's like, oh, it's IP 10608. It's uh, at this time. And you're just starting to record your, your paper trail. That's from the individual analyst perspective. And because we actually live in a team environment, um, unfortunately, we don't just one person can't do all the things. If you take more of the manager perspective or anybody with a bit of responsibility on this, what you're also hoping is that it's not, you know, it's not pool night. Your top analysts are not all drinking, and it's just the, the, the you know, the college new grad who's now all of a sudden handling this one, and this actually might be the Russians. Um, so that's this is the reality of a lot of investigation teams. What's a bit, um, and so from the graphistry view, we're kind of trying to figure out. How do we get this closer to this ideal of like we know we know things could be better, computers are doing things, AI is doing things, there's this graph thing, like shouldn't things be better? I actually have, a, I personally have a, a um, kind of a performance background, and so for me it's interesting to kind of break down what actually is happening there, and then if we're going to make this better, what are the things we need to chisel out? And so if I was kind of unwind a bit about what, what that flow I just described is, well, one is we need to pull out the right data. So we need to query across these data sources, our logs and our APIs. Once we get that data, we need to kind of figure out the correlations and the connections between them to figure out what's actually important. Um, maybe computers could help us there. But then there's also a bit of this analyst aspect where there's a lot of fuzziness here where we're going to have to reason about it. And we're actually probably going to have to go back and pull out more, right? There's this iterative searching. And only at the end of it am I going to start taking action. Or maybe I'm kind of looping between searching and taking action. And so as a, as a performance person, I can't just say, hey, we're going to use AI and solve the like, step number two and go home. 
we actually have to solve all of this. And so when I talk about investigation, I mean that full iterative end-to-end -end process. And that's really what this talk is about. So I'm gonna um, do a little, uh, our first demo here. So let's uh, step back a second. Okay, and so um, as a kind of a quick introduction to the GraphStory platform, um, we'll be doing a few more demos here, so, but I just wanna give a high level how, of, of just how we can do that simple process quickly. In the GraphStory world, we might, first of all, just connect to a bunch of data sources. I'll be doing a bunch of Splunk stuff today and then later um, Neptune. You can actually wanna really connect across all those um, different data silos. But in this case, the idea is that instead of starting by writing that initial, by, you know, jumping into, let's say, your FireEye vendor product and doing a certain uh, search there, or jumping into your you know, Elasticsearch or Splunk console and doing searches there, the idea is in Graphistry, you could just type in the alert ID, you pick, it, pick out the type of investigation you're doing, so in that, for that 10.16.08, maybe we're, I guess I'm, here I'm running a, a botnet investigation, but maybe I'll do like a spear phishing investigation. And the idea is you wanna have the, the multiple steps of an investigation of data gathering and data correlation actually already set up ahead of time. You want your top analyst setting that up, and so then as an analyst, all I do is I put that in, I hit run, it gathers the data, puts it on screen. And so, and then when I say puts it on screen, we actually pull out all the logs, which I'm kind of showing here, and then you want the tool to kind of connect the dots for you, and, and, and so in this case, for example, we have one log line with, it looks like we pulled out a few different types of entities in here for, um, for you, so for example, you know, maybe there's some file transfers, so we want a hash file. Maybe we're looking at accounts, and so we want IP addresses or usernames. Anything in the logs should be connected onto screen. And the cool thing about Graphistry is that you can actually, or one of the cool things in um, uh, what this talk is about is we can actually, instead of just doing one step of investigation, you can hit run all, where we actually iteratively query across your different data lakes, stitch that story together, when we actually have what we see now is, you know, six steps deep, we see a lot of the connections in the data. I'll, do, I'll be doing further examples where we actually dig into the meaning behind that, but I wanted to give a feel of how what, what today might take an hour, Graphistry is turning into literally minutes. Like this is a live query I just showed you. Um, and you could think of the number of Splunk queries underneath at each level that were unfolding. Let's uh, jump back here. And so from our experience working with uh, different size enterprises and government agencies, um, we don't actually believe in a one-size-fit-all. So when we're talking about investigation platforms and graph, and graph platforms, I think it's, an, it's useful to figure out if you're gonna have a cross-cutting capability, what you're actually looking for. And so the example I was, I was pointing to, I just did just now, the, the poor incident responder having to, you know, getting that alert and having to, having to get it done, that's more at the tier one, tier two level where it's urgency and automation and you need to really zip through things. Um, I'm guessing a lot of folks in the audience here, they might be more at the maybe tier three level, a secure, maybe a, a researcher or a data scientist or maybe doing some sort of SecOps or net, uh, NetOps, that kind of stuff. You actually have a bit of time to code and you're dealing maybe more with volume and you're trying to find patterns and like you're trying to figure out how it's today different from yesterday or, or why did the system go down, that kind of stuff. And so, when we're, look, when we're talking about um, these plat the investigation platforms and what we want to do with these systems, sometimes it's just about recording the workflows and just letting people zip through it, but other times we want to actually say, hey, how much data could we put in here? Could we dynamically pivot? Could we dynamically drill? That kind of stuff. And what, what's kind of cool about that, and I, I keep saying this, like I've been using that as the example of the security thing, 
of, of kind of a, the security team where you know, an incident propagates across different um, classes of analysts, the fraud teams, for example, work the same way. You have like the, the tier one fraud where it's the simple thing, they might have five minutes to respond, but maybe you have a, it escalates to somebody who has an hour, maybe you have a data scientist who could take a week, and if you go to, for example, um, I was chatting, just chatting with Brad about um, anti-human trafficking um, projects, that's the same exact thing. You have different uh, tiers of that. Um, we at Graphistry, we all even talk to, for example, pharmaceuticals. And so there, that same pattern we've been finding to be repeating. And so when we're building these systems, um, the way that we've kind of architected um, uh, for it to work is uh, basically we want to make it an extension of the current investigative flows because there's already these big entrenched workflows. And so our, our view of how, how this needs to work is basically there are already a bunch of data lakes out there. And so maybe you have Splunk, maybe you're starting to add Neptune and, and you're working with those. And then what's more, um, at any, once you start hitting this level of maturity, you probably already have, for example, alerting and rules, maybe you're experimenting with AI systems, and now this starts actually getting into things like APIs. And so we're actually dynamically hitting, need to be hitting APIs. One, uh, an architecturally difficult thing about building these systems is that, and, and what we'll see a lot of vendors will say, hey, we're gonna do all of that just buy our Hadoop cluster, install a thousand nodes or whatever that is, and we'll suck in all of that, and then we're gonna provide you this particular analytic solution. That was okay five or 10 years ago, but once you start hitting scale and enough diversity, you're now kind of, you're hitting scaling problems with the vendor and you're also hitting lock-in problems with the vendor. So one of the things that we've been trying to figure out and kind of an important thing as we've been working with others is switching to more of a BI approach and kind of taking lessons from, the, um, from that world, where what we say is, as long as something has an API, the job of, the, of, of kind of your investigative tier is to just query across those. And so we could trust Neptune to do the scale out for graph queries. We could trust Splunk to do scale out for maybe log queries. And the job of the investigative tier is to kind of do the on the fly data fusion. And so instead, and so once you have that kind of um, composition, and so you have kind of more composition across the, the different tools, what we look for for the investigative tiers now, if you, uh, basically three things, and this is where a lot of our time goes. First of all is, could we do the actual graph analytics? And so I'll, 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 most of the, the rest of the talk on my side will be about that. Once we have brought in the kind of graph perspective to a lot of these um, investigation problems, then things get a little interesting in two ways. One is um, what I just showed you about that workflow automation, and so ways that we can kind of allow people to map out their incidents and zip through them. And the second thing is um, actually the GPU aspect, where individual steps of investigation might, maybe one of your queries returns a lot of data. That should, generally the answer is a small one, but for that one step, your, your kind of your visual tooling and your investigative tooling shouldn't just fall over if one of your steps has a lot of data. They should help you print it back down. And so that's where the GPUs come in. And I actually wanna um, make one note is, uh, it's actually been very cool um, for our team to have um, we were actually one of the first users of GPUs on Amazon, and so it's been very cool to see. I think now it's the, I wanna say the P3s just came out recently, and it's been fun to watch for every version jump to see our, our platform go a bit faster. So, um, I wanna uh, talk a little bit, go, go a little more in detail, and when I say graph, what I mean by graph, especially in the investigative context. And for contrast, I think it's useful to look at logs, which is basically what a lot of folks are, are dealing with. So as an example, let's say I was maybe doing more of a 
like a, a auditing perspective. Like I want to look at all of the day's alerts, and I want to understand, you know, the entire day's alerts or the last month's alerts, and start to like, did I miss anything, or their groups, or whatever. So if I if I ran a normal kind of tabular query against that, I can get a table with you know a bunch of IPs or users or alerts or things like that. Or like if I'm doing DNA analysis, I can get different markers. Or if I'm doing machine learning, different features. The thing about that is, um, let's say I have like a bucket of alerts. I'll say, oh, I have like 10 top 10, 10 priority 10 alerts and three priority five alerts, and I have a nice. If I have a nice just bar graph, like I don't, I don't really understand the relationships between alerts and different buckets of it. If I have a um, just like a search result, I, I don't like I just it's very opaque. I don't know what's going on in that and that I'm just like scrolling through logs. While graphs lets us start seeing relationships and actually drawing out and reasoning about relationships bet um, between all the events and entities and those results. And um, one way to think about it, and I'm talking about, is it starts taking us away from these one-dimensional bar chart views into high-dimensional. Um, like, multi like if you have a lot of columns in your data, graphs lets us start reading it, reasoning about that. And one way I kind of say that is I, I start describing graphs as sort of a, a map, like the equivalent of maps, but just now instead of for physical data, location data, now for any sort of data, as long as you have a lot of columns, graphs can let you um, reason about all of the values in them. So I'm going to give two examples of that. So the first one, of, of uh, I think it's interesting to think about the types of questions graphs let us answer. Um, once we start modeling our, our, we still work with our event and lock data, but once we think about them as graphs, we can kind of naturally start answering questions that are today out of reach. So for example, um, if you look on the first row here, um, we have several, some type of nodes laid out. I, let's say they're ordered by time. I can actually start reasoning about progression and behavior, which is often an important thing in an investigation. In this case, I see, oh, it's a kind of this nice linear flow, but it branched. So that's actually, that can be a really hard thing to describe if I'm just using bar charts, right? Like how, like, how do you show that? Another one is like, okay, well, I've got a bunch of events and entities on screen, and maybe I'm trying to reason about what's going on in the system. Well, that's patterns, and that, that's kind of patterns and correlations. Could I see kind of similar shapes going on anywhere? Um, conversely, maybe I'm doing more of a, like, um, I'm kind of doing audit, and I must see what's, what are the outliers? What are the things that have are not matching the main patterns, or, what are, or is there a pattern to the things that are not matching the main patterns? And so graphs give us a, a natural way to do that, where if I just had a bunch of bar charts, I, don't, I can't really talk about that. And then the final thing I, th I think is interesting at a very low level of what graphs gives us is it just lets us reason about entities and scope. And so if I'm trying to reason, do a 360 view on an IP or on a user or on an account, I can actually say, like, what are the things involved with that? And given any one thing, what's nearby? And again, if I'm just doing search, if I'm just doing bar charts, I just, it's hard to see that stuff. Even if the, under, the source data is the same, I, the, without the graph perspective, it's, it's just very hard to figure that out. Um, a thing we end up doing a lot of, um, and um, for example, if you're adopting Neptune or you're working with, uh, basically, if you want to introduce graph to your workflow, the question is, how do you bridge the event and log world to the graph world, right? That's kind of like step one for a lot of this, and it ends up being just a recurring thing. And there's one thing that we do a lot um, that ends up being important here. Um, it's got a complicated name, but it's a really simple concept. It's called a hypergraph. Um, it's entirely optional for how you work with these systems, but it ends up being really nice. And it's very, it's basically all it says is take each log line or each event, just make that a node. 
And as soon as you put that on screen, you can say, and, um, and our visualizations will do this, is we'll pull out any of the interesting entities mentioned in your log line, also put those out on screen. But now, instead of just reasoning about your entities, at the same time, we're reasoning about events at the same time. Um, and so this ends up un unlocking a bunch of stuff. And so um, um, I think one, one interesting trend we're seeing out in the field here, um, um, once you have that temporal modeling, gets unlocked. And so we've been seeing different names for this. The, the, the name that I've, that's been most interesting to me has been a correlation service. And so this ends up being one of the big use cases for across team, different types of teams for graph. And so um, as some examples of, of where this fits in, um, and this is actually where Neptune really um, shines, is uh, if we kind of treat this in maturity levels, the first one is basically prioritization. And so let's say we have teams responding to events or investigating events. The first step of prioritization is basically saying, instead of playing whack-a-mole with individual log lines or individual alerts, can you have all that kind of that type of transforms going on behind the scenes can you group those together? So when you're, instead of in, in addressing one event, you're now trust, uh, addressing a cluster of them. And once you have these nice um, groups of, uh, of alerts, can you then start prioritizing the groups? Like, is this, like, this group involving important things or uh, important assets or anything like that? And then next level of that is like, okay, well, great. So now we have a nice ranked list of things. So we've now just kind of cut down a lot of the effort that a lot of our teams are spending. Now when they are, do pick something up, could we increase the, the amount of visibility they get for any individual thing? So um, imagine we we're looking at that original IP address, like 10.6, whatever. What groups is that involved, involved in? If we have a correlation service, all of a sudden you have the thing and you just hit expand and bam, you have like the context around that, that thing. You hit expand again, you get a bit further context. And there's a really funny trick that I just played on that previous slide of the hypergraph. So I, and, and it's kind of the reason why this works. All the things I just described are the things you would expect some sort of magical machine learning or AI system to do, you know, grouping, prioritization, correlation, things like that, right? And what I, and I've, in, in the scenarios I've been talking about, we've been talking about regular analysts. This is like the IT crowd, this is the anti-fraud crowd, just like normal people doing stuff. Yet behind the scenes, I was basically talking about core uh, machine learning operations, right? And what's more, I've been providing a, a, a visual intuition for these things. So once we did that hypergraph modeling, and once we actually assumed like a system like Neptune is helping us answer these queries, what we basically just said is um, we basically turn regular analysts into folks who are actually driving AI-powered or machine learning-powered systems. And that's actually a really big thing. Um, and so one thing I'm starting to talk about for graph is it's actually starting to provide a, an actual a user interface for dealing with high-dimensional data, dealing with AI systems, things like that. It's the first time we actually have an interface for analysts to, to drive this stuff. Um, if you're on the math side of things, it's actually a very simple intuition, which is basically an edge in a hypergraph is basically, if you have a correlation matrix, it's just one of those like weights. And so the weight of a, a hyper edge is the weight in your correlation system. And that's just the trans, and the hypergraph is a transform to go from your event logs to, to basically this type of modeling interaction model. That, um, the thing, again, from a, if I'm just a security analyst or I'm trying to do anti-human trafficking, I really don't want to know about that. So in Graphistry, we just make that a button to run clustering. So that, I'm gonna um, do one more demo. Um, and this gets more to the, maybe the tier two or the researcher level. Let's grab this here. And so this is where things like, um, what I just described is basically doing, oh, we're still not quite here. 
need to take it. Great. So this is a, a fun example. So let's say we have a, a system like Neptune behind the scenes where we can just you know, pull out 100,000 of the, the most important alerts from the year and just try to reason about it. Um, this is actually running on a real enterprise data set here. And once we have things like GPUs, what we can load in and render a lot of data and actually interact with it in ways that, uh, especially in a, like a, just a regular browser setting, was previously impossible. So in this case, what, we're, what I'm going to provide an example of is where we just wanted to see for a Fortune 500 what does the a day's activities look like? Like, what is the alerting activity? So each node here um, is an IP address, and each edge is an alert, and this is an internal device. And each edge is, um, not means that there's some sort of network alert between two devices. And what we wanted to figure out here was, once we were able to quickly get back all the devices um, kind of having alerting activity within our enterprise, what's going on? Could we provide a high-level view? So once we got that system, uh, query back from uh, the, the scale-out system, Graphistry just put it on screen, and now we can do a few fun things. The first thing that we're going to do is, um, actually, first fun thing is I just want to note, we have 64,000 devices on screen and about 100, uh, uh, what is this, 106,000 alerts on screen. I'm just doing a very smooth um, user interface to that. And so that's just how one of the ways that Graphistry uses GPUs on the front end. The next thing is, um, you'll actually see when I hit this uh, play button, we're actually doing um, kind of clustering algorithms and things like that on the back end. Normally when you're dealing with graph systems, you know, somebody runs clustering and it's interactive, we're normally dealing with maybe 1,000 or 10,000 nodes. Graphistry, we can do about a million and it's fine. And part of the reason that works is we're actually using um, Amazon's GPUs on the back end. And where this, uh, this demo gets fun is what I'm gonna do really briefly is I'm gonna color each alert um, based off of the type of um, vendor that generated it. And so we're gonna uh, recolor the edges here. And I'm basically trying to answer what's going on, um, uh, whoops, actually. I wanna know, actually not the type of a vendor, but I wanna, I wanna know the, actually the, the device that did it. So on the fly, I'm just kind of using the data to control the graph. And what we see here is mostly we have red uh, firewall activity, red firewall activity. But what's interesting for my data center is that there's actually all these other things. So once I get rid of all that firewall stuff, which normally uh, an investigation would have fallen over by this point because we didn't have the acceleration, but in this case, now we actually have, um, we were able to do that filter. I can now recluster. And now when I um, zoom back in, what's kind of interesting is for that day, for this Fortune 500 where we had, what was this, like 60,000 devices with actual alerts that somebody had to look at, we actually realized it's only a few clusters of actual alerting activity. Um, and so now we can do normal type investigations like ask you know, what's going on over here versus what's going on over here. Let me uh, jump back. And so hopefully you're, you're, as I'm going through this, you're getting a feel for, as I talk about doing an end-to-end -end investigation, how like the automation's letting us zip through and now the, um, the acceleration for if any point has a lot of data. So um, kind of briefly on this one, um, I actually showed several cool pieces of talk technology in play to let me just load basically all the computers in the system on screen. First one, what you saw on screen is I just rendered a lot. So this is kind of like a video game. Um, uh, it's kind of that same notion of, of uh, 3D engine for a video game, except for when we're working with data, we're not really interested in photorealism, but we're actually just interested in having a lot of stuff on screen. 
And so we had to basically write our own essentially SVG engine, but um, like kind of bulk optimized, and we had some interesting WebGL stuff there. The next thing that you saw going on behind the scenes was when I hit that clustering button, I had that hit that clustering button, which was when we do want to see all the stuff on screen, even if the answer was ultimately those few clusters of stuff, I needed to get there. So I needed to run clustering, I needed to run filtering, all that stuff. And so we were using GPUs on the server, and we're actually been writing, we've been actually creating a lot of GPU frameworks for doing that stuff. And then, um, and, and so that's both kind of on the machine learning side, but also just interactive analytics, filtering reductions, things like that. Um, and there are kind of two interesting tricks to that, um, and this is stuff that I think other folks who are in, on, on the GPU side of the world may want to um, duplicate. The first thing is we've sort of pioneered this model of um, client cloud streaming, where the idea is we've rethought of how visual frameworks should work as basically GPUs on both ends. And so when I think of what my interaction section is, as long as I, somebody has just like Wi-Fi, is that we're going to um, uh, connect the, those two together. And, and that's, my, that's the compute platform. And the second thing we have here is we've been working with something called um, the arrow format, which is basically um, a calmer format for representing a lot of the data going back and forth. From the analyst view, this doesn't matter so much, but from the folks who are actually building these systems, if you're pioneering these things, what this has basically unlocked is the ability for different GPU tools to work together. And so while I've shown a couple of cool uh, things in this talk, what's interesting is there are other AI vendors, there are other um, analytics vendors who are starting to pioneer other technologies, and we've been working with NVIDIA um, a little bit actually with Brad's team on this kind of initiative of having basically zero latency communication across GPU systems. And so if you're excited by systems like Spark, this is basically the next generation, in my opinion. Like, this is how we get the next level scale and next level inter interactivity. Like, how, how do we get 10x or 100x more? Um, so if you're into that kind of things, I was actually, our project was recently uh, 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 um, added to the Apache Foundation, and it's also called Go AI. So um, feel free to talk to me after. So stepping back, um, really what I was trying to communicate here is investigation within an enterprise setting is this end-to-end -end thing, with any, both in terms of the individual analyst, but also at the team level, and expands all the way from grabbing data to correlating data, connecting it together, making decision, repeating that process, and then kind of passing on to the next team. And so we've been thinking about that as an optimization problem end-to-end. -end. Sometimes we could do it with technology, so we'll be talking, connecting back to the Neptune side in a second. I showed a few examples from GPUs, and sometimes we have to think about more broadly about the glue, like the workflow stuff I was showing you. How do we actually compose into the system? So there's kind of a lot of architecture and things that you want to do if you want your project to succeed, basically. Um, with that, I actually want to bring it back to, to Brad and um, kind of the collaboration been, that's been um, kind of starting up. Okay, great. So the um, visualization part is really cool and the analytics are really cool, um, but you want to process a lot more data than you can even visualize with a tool like Graphistry. And the, you need tools that allow you to do that. And so certainly in the cyber domain, in the network analytics domain, things like graph pattern matching, various different kinds of analytics, um, they're very important for helping you to find from a very large set of data to get something that's much smaller that you can actually manage in an individual investigation. And so 
there's a couple of different options uh, for storing and managing this kind of data. Uh, one thing you could do is you could use a relational database to store this kind of information. The challenge is that this information is really very highly connected. It's fundamentally about how devices communicate and how they communicate with each other. And so using a relational database for this kind of highly connected data just isn't really a very good fit. If you use uh, a SQL query uh, to traverse the data, you end up writing a lot of complicated join operations. It's, uh, <clears throat> as you, the joins expand, you know, your query performance degrades. Graph processing has very different I.O. workloads than relational database processing, and so relational databases just really aren't optimized to process graph queries very quickly. And, you know, to Leo's point about diversity of different data sources, you never really know when you're going to bring on a new sensor in your network and need to process that data. And so, in general, the data is very dynamic, and so relational databases really aren't very strong at sort of handling uh, schema evolution and changing. So, uh, there's definitely challenges there. Um, you know, this is sort of a, I won't dwell on this in this talk, but, you know, this is really kind of an example of, of the difference, of the challenges. Here on the, your left-hand side, you see the relational model, and that's really sort of an HR system. And suppose that you had a question, you had an employee leave suddenly, and you wanted to answer the question, well, what skills do they have or who do they work with? If your data is stored in this model that was intended to support a business process, it's really very difficult to ask that kind of question. Whereas if you look at the model on your right and you have it in, in a graph model, it's much more easy, it's much easier to answer that question. It's easier to frame it uh, if you use a graph query language. And so a graph database is a database that's optimized to store this kind of highly connected information and supports, <coughs> excuse me, query languages and APIs that are concise and efficient for being able to express traversals over the graph. And so this is really the motivation for why we developed Amazon Neptune, which we announced yesterday. Uh, Amazon Neptune is fast. It's designed to process interactive graph queries. So it's designed for graph applications that need to have very high throughput with low latency graph query answering. It's designed to be very highly reliable. We support multi-AZ high availability. We support up to 15 different read replicas. We support encryption at rest. And it's easy to operate, fully managed. Uh, we support backups, point-in-time recovery. And for the graph space, we give you the choice of different APIs and models that you can work with, so you can use the ones that work best with your application. So this is just a very quick snapshot of Neptune's overall architecture. So they're working down from the top. You can see the, the breadth of different use cases. Here we're focused on a, on a cyber use case, but there's a lot of different use cases for Graph. Uh, we support uh, two sets of APIs. One's called Apache Tinkerpop, and it has a, a language called Gremlin for imperative graph traversals. And the second is a set of standards from the World Wide Web Consortium uh, called the Resource Description Framework, RDF, and its query language, uh, Sparkle. Neptune itself, at its core, is a purpose-built engine that's optimized for graph processing and it's durable and fully acid with immediate consistency. And then it sits on top of a cloud-native storage layer. And that's what allows us to give it the sort of the enterprise features. So that's cool. Neptune seems nice. I hope you think so. Um, but how do we put it all together for this kind of use case? And so what we wanted to do was to sort of provide an end-to-end -end concept of how you would take some sort of data that you had 
um, use Neptune and other AWS tools, and then um, you know, perform an investigation uh, using Graphistry. And so we started with a data set uh, that's from a sort of research activity called VAST 2013. Uh, it has a set of net flows that were taken over two weeks. There's uh, about uh, 14 million net flows, as you can see, 1,400 devices. And what's going on here is there's a denial of service attack uh, that's occurring. And so what we want to do is take these net flows, uh, put them into some kind of graph representation, um, you know, maybe do some processing over it, add some information, add some analytics to it, and then uh, put it into the visual, the visual investigative tool and try and find out more about it. But there's a few important steps along the way. And so what we did here is we took the net flows that are available on VAST, and you can go to their website and download them yourself if you're interested. Um, and we put them in S3, uh, which is you know, a natural place to start. And then we used uh, AWS Glue to take a look. We created crawlers over these, these net flows. Uh, they're CSV files is what you can download. Uh, created tables in Glue uh, to represent all of the different attributes uh, of the net flows. But then we also wanted to do some summarization. So we wanted to you know, look in aggregate. You know, each net flow represents a connection over time between one host and another um, with uh, some attributes about the number of bytes the IP addresses, et cetera. And we wanted to do some roll-up and aggregation, so we wanted to look over this period of time how many net flows between two hosts occurred, over what different ports did they occur. And so we used Amazon Athena uh, to be able to do run sort of serverless queries over the data that we had in S3 to be able to aggregate it, uh, put it together into a form uh, that we could run a GPU accelerated correlation algorithm over it on the P3 instances, and then have a graph representation that can be add those correlation attributes into Neptune, and then ultimately uh, show them in query in Graphistry. But before we get to that, just quickly, I wanted to show the concept of a NetFlow as a graph. This is looking at NetFlow as an RDF graph. And so you can see, you know, as Leo was saying, you know, you're modeling the event as the edge and some of the, some of the attributes. This is a, you know, a similar kind of way. So the, the, net, the net flow itself um, is, is a node in this model. And there's edges related to the IP addresses, uh, ports, uh, packet size. And so this is just an example of uh, looking at net flow in a graph form. And then we also wanted to look at doing a community detection concept. Uh, over this data to provide some labels about what communities uh, these uh, nodes and IP addresses in particular uh, belong to. And uh, we want, chose the Newman spectral modularity algorithm to do this. Uh, it's a fairly well-known uh, uh, group detection uh, algorithm. But in particular, we chose it because it can be solved iteratively uh, with a power method. And so we can use some of the features that became available uh, with NVIDIA's release of CUDA 8 and CUDA 9 with their support for the NV graph capabilities, in particular the SPMV uh, operations. And so to kind of put it all together, this is an example of sort of showing uh, what we did in Athena. This is our query in Athena to aggregate that data. Uh, we then took that information uh, and developed into the sparse matrix representation uh, that we did for to include the community detection and then added those labels into the graph, uh, which we stored you know, into a Neptune graph database. And then I'm going to bring Leo back up, and he'll let you see the result of all of this. So.
Thanks, Brett. Yeah, so I'll give this a second to turn on here. So um, I want to actually do a pretty fun uh, demo of, of uh, putting this together where I'm actually going to teach you a little bit about hunting. And so, which is kind of not something, some people here might do it every day, but I'm guessing most uh, do not get to. Um, and so what we did with this is, uh, for this uh, um, demo is we, kind of like as a standard, any sort of data system, you like you make your connector, you teach it about the tables and things like that. So we just taught Graphistry about um, the kind of the algorithms that Brad's team had set up. And so those are just could be, instead of having to, once somebody writes some of that SQL the first time, from then on, the rest of the team doesn't have to deal with it. Um, and so we kind of just set that up, and that, again, that kind of visual analytics playbook, so, you know, that's now just ready accessible. I don't want to attempt to demo gods too much on this, so what I want to do is just jump directly to the visualization we generated based off of that denial of service. And so I kind of had set that up uh, ahead of time here. Let's go full screen. So this is kind of fun. So from, also maybe a bit, a little bit more background here was an interesting thing is the first time we took a look at this data set and sometimes when we actually ran some trainings, we actually did it with Spark. And with Spark, it took us about 30 seconds to a minute on, on kind of a small cluster to do that steps, um, those steps that Brad was describing before, while Neptune is kind of more purpose-built for this kind of computation. And it, or it's more focused on instead of batch on interactivity. And as we're doing interactive investigation, that's actually very exciting to our team. So um, where I wanted to go with this is uh, once, once we kind of did the, the Neptune step, now we get some pretty fun views. So um, what we're looking at here is like each device is uh, a node. Um, and then each edge, let's, let's pick a one that makes a, li a little more accessible here. Each edge represents a net flow. So kind of that roll up that um, Nep um, Neptune could have computed of like, you know, how many bytes passed through, how many ports were accessed, things like that. So if I was just going to, first of all, this is cool because kind of like that our earlier demo I showed, basically no matter the size of your system, like even if you're actually Netflix or Google scale, we can actually show it. So that's cool. Like that's actually, that's a cool thing. Um, and what's more, now we can actually work with it. And so when I'm doing, we knew for the context for this uh, data set is that there's a denial of service attack going on. So the first thing we might want to say is, let's see the denial of service attack. And what a denial of service attack means is basically your different, some devices are just trying to overload some, um, some kind of core servers, and so they're just kind of hitting them a lot. And instead of having to write a lot of SQL or anything, um, we just want to just make it all sliders. So one of the data attribute columns coming out of systems like Neptune is like the rollups. One of those uh, we pulled out already as a temp count. So I just dragged along here. That auto-generated that filter for me. Um, we also have a mode where if you want to you only want to show the devices that actually have stuff, uh, kind of events uh, and edges on them. And then I'm just going to recluster what's left. Um, and then we'll see what, what, what kind of the clustering algorithm tells us is, is left. And this is kind of cool. So um, what's going on here is in purple, it looks like we have web servers. And then in green, we just have a little, um, looks like in green, we just have little devices, just like endpoint end uh, users. Uh, and so what's kind of interesting is for this denial of service attack, what's actually not super surprising is somebody is attacking the public web servers. So, so if I was going to try to take down a company, that's probably, that's not a crazy thing to do. Um, and to just validate that, we can say, for example, on this edge, it looks like in that two-week period, we had about one million, that one computer hit the server about a million times. So that's probably not just somebody refreshing their email. So something's going on. 
Now, as a, um, you don't really need Graph or Graphistry or Neptune to do that. What you need an investigation tool to figure out is, is was that it? And so, with our other, and as a hunter, I'm trying to figure out are there other indicators of compromise? Was the other escalator activity? Was the scope progression? All that stuff I was talking about before. And so, as one very kind of simple example, actually, the reality is, as a hunter, I normally would be working with much richer data sets than just the NetFlow. But for this demo, it's kind of a, a nice example. And so, one common thing I might want to use uh, to pull out signal here is, you know, what. If, if you have a bot doing the denial of service, it's probably on, all on port 80, but what else is going on? And so I might want to look at the ports being active between the uh, computer communications to see if there's anything else. And that's kind of a nice hunting signal. And so as a simple thing I'm just going to ask is, let's just color based on the number of ports because maybe uh, I can start seeing distributions on that. And so I just, um, um, I just recolored the edges. Um, white means only a few ports were active in two weeks, so for example, just one port here, um, while uh, strong red, when I recolored it, means a lot of ports. And so it's maybe easier for me to see on, on, um, on my laptop. But I see, for example, for, for this web server getting hit by this device, I actually see there are about um, 63,000 ports were accessed over that two-week period. And again, this is not somebody refreshing their email. This is probably just a port, this is probably a port scan. And so now, as me as a hunter, I'm kind of like, OK, that's already interesting. I've all of a sudden, instead of checking, looks like we've got 43 devices on screen, I've already honed in as one of the devices as interesting, and I might want to figure out, okay, on this web server, were there any CVEs, or like I know that there's a port scan looking for certain type of vulnerabilities and things like that. And so for me, this is kind of a very nice example where we were able to start in the beginning, um, we use clustering, community detection from Neptune to kind of get a feel for the data, and then um, by using the interactivity, we could dig in more. Um, kind of as another example where uh, actually Neptune uh, uh, is useful, in instead of me coloring based off of the type of the asset, I might want to actually color based off of the, um, the um, device categories that um, Neptune kind of communities figured out. What's interesting when I'm looking at this is um, uh, for this web server, there's like blue and purple devices associated with it. And so I might need to be able to explain why are there two categories of bots basically hitting this, um, trying to hit this web server. So there might actually be more structure to what's going on. Um, so anyway, I, I, this was actually a very exciting example for me because when the original data set was released, um, teams had about two weeks to kind of explain what was going on in this data set. But what I just showed you was basically a SQL query and or uh, um, I think it was a Sparkle query in uh, Neptune and then just basically clicking around in Graphistry and that was it. And, we actually were able to, able to flush out a bunch of uh, kind of not just the basic denial of service, but other, uh, other incidents going on. Um, let me jump back. Actually, jumping ahead. I think we, you know, we have a time for a couple of questions. If you're interested in the Neptune preview, uh, it is available. You can sign up uh, for it. There's no cost for participating in the preview. Uh, there's some information there uh, for documentation. And then additionally, uh, if you're interested in uh, learning more about graphistry, a couple of pictures, I'll let people take, take some shots. Uh, if you're interested in graphistry, um, Happy to get in touch with them uh, for a demo or also for developers to talk to them about getting an API key. 
Yeah, no, uh, we'll be hanging out after as well. So if you don't feel comfortable uh, coming up to the stage. Uh, yeah. So, thank you very much.